When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Air horn. Not gonna lie, I'm a little sad you didn't. (laughs) (laughs) I feel like we went through that phase, and now Ah, we've done it so many times that it's just (laughs) doom air horn. Yeah, it's. The the problem is if you play just the sound, for whatever reason, Zoom edits it out so it doesn't get picked up on anyone's thing. So you have to say air horn at the same time. Uh, <laughs> what if you just said air horn, though, without the sound? I, I think that is not regular enough. Like, it's like the air horn sound effect is like a consistent length. I don't know, man. Mm-hmm. <laughs> if Joe needs something different, he'll correct me. The sound effect would theoretically <laughs> be the same little waveform every time. I make sense. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, it's just, oh, what a, what, a, what a mess audio production is. Our story continues in the clouds. They are sparse over a bright day. I think the sun is high in the sky over waving grasslands below. We can see a river running in the distance. I'd I'd say uh, a couple dozen kilometers off with large blossoms of waving green trees surrounding it. Stretched out from those forests, we can see signs of community. Small houses and huts, dirt roads dug into the ground. We can see waving fields of grain that are strategically cut back in different places. Cut in a way that allows them to be gathered and bundled together but not tended or farmed so that they can still grow and wave wild in the winds. As these houses start to get closer and closer together and the roads become more and more crisscrossed and wider, we can see the signs of true farming here, not just farms of like vegetables and and whatnot that people would eat, but we can see pigsties and most importantly, chicken coops. What you might be picturing as a chicken coop, of course, in our world looks far different. These chicken coops tower over the buildings attached to them. And we can see the rearing of heads of massive griffin chickens. 
pecking around, moving about these enclosures, being tended by people using, you know, those very light whips that are, are tied to the end of very long sticks that don't do anything that they could hurt an animal or a person, but do make a very loud noise if they are snapped. We can see, you know, the hollow, almost googly eyes of these chickens moving around looking for their next thing to peck at before they are driven into the proper place by the various people farming them. More and more like we can see uh, buildings gathered around each other, creating something that is not quite the metropolitan commerce that we have seen in many stops in our journey through the skies, but Something more like a village gathering place, buildings that are clearly communal buildings, things that no one owns, places really where where people barely live, but lots of trading posts set up around an official-looking skyport. One, though, that is small, that can only accommodate a few schooners. The building that stands out most of all is a tall and towering place that is multiple stories, a completely different type of building made out of sandstone brick that is totally different from all the other buildings around it. Emblazoned on the front of this building is the insignia of the Lightfellow Ranch. And next to that is a large-ish private skyport that services that building and that building alone. Moving through the countryside away somewhat from this town, we approach an area that's slightly wooded, where we can see on the ground logs and, and posts that have been set up into kind of haphazard slapdash skyship port. One that a ship would actually, like, what, what, what was it that we described? That, like, you need to be at, like, half sail or, or something to fit in? Mm. Yeah, like, you have to have your balloon taken in to half the size that it would be and sort of, like, pinched off and clipped off so that you're just catching less air so you can hover at a lower altitude. Yeah, yeah. I, I think what we're, we're actually kind of seeing is that it's not even just hovering at a lower altitude. I think you fully dock, which means there are stands built up to support the side of your hull. But trees are stretched up so high around it. This is not exactly in the woods. This is a part of the landscape where the woods have actually been cut back a little bit, but enough tall trees have been left over that they could conceal any sky ship that lies within so long as that sky ship deflates its envelope a little bit and settles more in the area itself. From this area, there is a long dirt road that has been worn down by chicken claws moving back and forth over this area. And this is a place where we find the Uhuru having already pulled into this new port. The ship is full of a nervous energy, of an excited energy. Part of it is everyone on the ship knows why they're here. 
The Uhuru is a close-knit ship, something akin to a family. When a member of the crew, especially a prominent member of the crew, one who has done exemplary service and worked to endear themselves to everyone on the ship around them, has something that they need to do, has something special to them coming up, everyone in the ship bands together to celebrate that event. And through the ship, as we see the faces of pirates that have spent the last few weeks flying a rough course over windy terrain to reach this area, we can see the secret joy playing across their lips, knowing that they are going to visit one of their dear friends' homes, knowing that they are going to meet this person's family, knowing that a celebration is just around the corner. And it is with this tone that we see our first crew member. And I think I would like to start with Gable. Where Mm -hmm. is Gable, Liz? You said that we've just landed? Yes, we've just landed. uh, Like, they're starting to lower the dock now, unloading anything that needs to be unloaded, talking to any local port keepers that they need to discuss with. Yeah, then I think Gable is tying down ropes, checking, because especially if we're going to be parking for a long time, there's stuff that we need to do with the furnaces and the burners to keep a low-level burn that I think is a little bit complicated. So they're probably consulting with our furnacier and our uh, a couple of our who who is going to stay on the ship and be the skeleton crew while everyone else goes on. So doing a little a little bit of a just errands, uh, <laughs> some uh, housekeeping bits and bops. There, it's a weirdly relaxing time. I would love a physical description on Gable, as this is the start of a new arc, and we may be welcoming new listeners. Oh yes, fantastic. Gable is a seven-foot-tall, beefy humanoid figure, a little bit more physically there than they used to be, uh, a little bit more self-assured. They have silvery whitish hair that at this point is is grown out enough to put into a decent bun but when it's down is still like very obviously this is not a styled haircut it has been sliced and diced a little bit and they are dressed in uh, this is kind of warm weather climate right i just i just pulled the card this is summer oh yeah so if it's a little bit hot they are wearing just they're kind of a linen tunic that girds around the the thighs but if you wanted to you could let it go and it would become a thigh length skirt situation and uh just a regular tunic top that wraps around the neck all right i I think we can see on gable um i I do want to know we have established in the past that gable knows that they can at least at one point because they have experienced a bunch of memories it's possible for them to stow their sword as a feather gable is a fallen angel and this is a reality for gable that 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 the crew and they have known about for some time especially being in the summer heat i i think 
there's an opportunity to uh, let the scars, um, at least over the last couple of weeks, that they normally hide, let them show a bit more. So I, I want to know, first of all, like, what, what, what does Gable look like in terms of how much of their, their fallen features are showing? And secondly, where are things like Gable's big sword? Ooh, a good question. I love the fact that we have established that the sword is less of an actual weapon, more of a manifestation of their physical form. So mm-hmm. the more they're trying to be human, the more it's just like, this is my big sword. But as they have unlocked all these memories and are amongst people who understand exactly what they are, it's not like the sword goes away, but in order to not freak people out, they give the explanation, oh, I just have it in storage. But what it manifests as is a very intensely unsettling tattoo that goes across just one shoulder and down the arm. Oh, that's... Uh, Liz, have you just told me that there's some rad anime shit happening where when when Gable needs the sword, they will draw a tattoo off their body I, and it will I become mean... a big cool sword? This is a one-winged angel. It's fine. Don't worry. <laughs> I real quick. Uh, when I was in high school, I drew like I was drawing like a comic series that of something I was making up that like had a dude had a had a shield on his hand that he could just like pull off and like <gasps> use, and mm-hmm. that just threw me back to that. And that is the raddest thing on the planet. Uh-huh. Yes. I think the request that I will have for this tattoo is that it be words written in the true angelic script mm-hmm. which as we have established look like feathers with eyes. They they are lines that that have like jutting geometric lines off of them that will have different eye patterns and whatnot to mean different things. It might be the angelic script for justice, but I will leave that more flexibly within Liz's uh, Liz's hands there. But yeah, yeah, you've got this rad tattoo that runs down your arm that can become a big flaming sword that's basically nine feet long. That's really cool, and I, I love it. I did put it away, and also the temples of their hair are going a little bit black and gold. Ooh, I love that. Oh, man. Okay, cool. So we, we've got Gable just doing some work, like like tying things off, tying things down. I think a Jane, who is one of the members of the Uhuru crew, comes up to Gable. Jane is a pirate who is, is very young. She, she looks to be in her early 20s. She's got a sharp-eyed look about her. She's also kind of dressed down for warm weather. She's, you know, wearing one of those like loose fitting kind of like piratey tunic shirts. She has slung across her shoulder a belt with a cutlass slung into it. On the other side of that belt, there is also a holster where we can see the handle of a a gun of some variety uh, poking out the side of it. Gable, are we going to need these? I, I don't, I don't think so I, I'm just I'm I'm kind of you know we're we're new to this uh, and everything we're about to head to a family affair in a little town that I've never heard of before I know this is a red feather zone I just kind of want to follow your lead on this one I would say this is red feather areas adjacent there's always danger we're we're corsairs um 
don't bring a gun to dinner. That feels good to me. That feels correct to me. If you have to just say, oh, I do have a gun, but I will leave it outside. Okay. Um, There are knives at dinner so that you use the knife at dinner to cut your food. So that's appropriate. If a weapon can't be used at dinner, don't bring it to dinner. (laughs) Right? Okay, so so like if I had a gun that was sort of for like cracking open lobster or something. Yes, a fun cool gun. Lobster like gun. <laughs> or it was full of pepper and it was a, a fun design that you used at dinner parties to be like, oh, I gotcha with the freshly ground pepper. That would be a lot of fun. But I think for this moment, yes, that would ease on the side of caution, but never be too cautious. Okay, you know, I, 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 I am going to ask Jonnet kind of what the vibe of the area is then. Because um, if we if we need them, I don't want to be caught without them. But also, I don't want to be rude. Well, um, yes. Okay. It's, I love that you're thinking of it, though. I think Jane blushes a little bit and does a very awkward salute. Don't stop and, that. <laughs> <laughs> and dashes off. At this point, I think we're going to zip off to another part of the ship. And this is during the day. So this is this is Travis. And Travis is with us in an animal form. Johnny, mm. could you please describe Travis Matigo for us, both in and out of animal form, as Travis is a changeling and recently has discovered that he's not just a changeling. He is the changeling. The changeling with the most elemental connection to the luminary story. The story that is one of the core stories of Sphere and in many ways guides the mythology and spirit of the world. So he has more freedom, more power than most changelings do. And over the last couple of weeks that it took for them to get to Acheron... He has been aware of that power and had the opportunity to play around with it. So I, I would love a description on where you are, what you're doing, and how you look. Oh, man. Well, I think knowing that... Okay, here's a question. Mm-hmm. So I, uh, can I, ch- I can change a little more freely now. Yes, I would say so. Are griffins animals that Travis can change into? Or is there something special and magical about them that prevents that? Johnny, this is a perfect question. This is a perfect question that I don't know the answer to. So I think we need you to make a primal magic roll if you want to try and transform into a griffin. The fun, fun trick, James, getting me to play the game. Ah, <laughs> uh, yes, welcome. Mm, welcome to the game. I gotta get my computer. I gotta go into my files genesis emporium <laughs> johnny like a made uh, like a, a motion chainsaw. as though he were starting a chainsaw yeah <laughs> <laughs> gotta prime the the engine you know push it three times what, uh, what what's the dice app called okay here we go jesus <laughs> <laughs> and primal you yep, say primal oh fun uh i'm i'm hey i'm pretty good at that good because this is daunting that is, is that three? Full. That's four, four okay. baby. Damn. That's fine. That's fine. Four purple? Yep. 
And is there if there's anything Travis is doing to hedge his bets, either trying to create a ceremony, making some kind of sacrifice? What's what's going on there? It's hard to imagine he's doing anything but saying to himself, "A bird, but bigger." Because <laughs> <laughs> this is, right. I think, I think this is the first time that the thought of turning into a griffin has kind of crossed his mind. This is really cool. Also, you you are technically doing a transformation out of season right mm-hmm. now because normally in summer Travis transforms into a coyote. Mm. Um so now you are you're trying to take the raven that you know is inside you and transform it into a griffin raven. Oh, that'd be very fun. Um yeah. Mm-hmm. Okay, let's let's see what we got. No, that is one threat. Mm. One threat, but no successes, no failures? Correct. Well, that means we draw a luminary, my friend, to determine success or failure. But we do know that there is going to be a threat added on to this, which I like. So, all right, what are you feeling? Like the edges, the top, the bottom, the middle, where are we pulling from? How many total cards are there? Uh, somewhere around 30, I think. 27. I want the 27th card, please. <laughs> unless right. it's a, unless it's a out. okay. Difficult purpose. Four, 27. five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten, eleven. That's 12, card counting. 14, mm. 15, 16, 17, 18. James 19, worked at a bank, 20. so I know that he can, he can count fast. Because you, you know, they, you learn mm. the. I guess it is a useful skill for that job. Gotta lick your fingers and a lot. 27. Oh, Travis, this is bad news. It's the island. <laughs> oh, my God. Hmm. Oof, a toof. I have a question for you, Johnny. Uh-huh. The island, just, just for everyone's re- refreshing on the island's themes, so we understand kind of what happened here. Uh, the themes are imprisonment, doom, and the cursed sea. So... The question that I have for you is this starts going wrong and when it starts going wrong does Travis lean in or lean out? He leans in. You got to push through. He's going to he's like he's like I can make this work. <laughs> no. Uh... I like this especially because the deal that you have with Oromar right now which is that you cannot do anything that you think has a chance of failing, mm. which may mm. have may have contributed in some way to your decision to do this specifically and your decision to lean in as opposed to back off. First, I would like please please describe what Travis looks like now as as a coyote doing this. Yeah, he's he looks like a coyote looks, which is like a kind of a mean puppy. <laughs> but he is all uh, white, and that's. I mean, I, do you want do you and want me to would, specifically describe what a coyote looks like? If Travis was in the form of a man, what would he look like? So he has white hair that is uh, very di- gray, so it's very distinct from Gable's hair. Distinct. Mm-hmm. Not siblings. Increasingly distinct. Yes. <laughs> yeah. I, th- I, you know, he's, he's a sort of a, uh, your average looking fella with above average attractiveness, but I'd say build is average. Um, but he also looks like 
shabby and like run down. He always looks a little run down, you know, circles under his eyes. Not not gaunt because I don't think that his his features are like hollow really, but you know, like a mm-hmm. a healthy gaunt. I, I'd say per- perhaps someone who looks tired or, yeah, or yeah. idly bored. Mm-hmm. And I think right now, since it is warmer, normally he wears a large, fun sort of coat. But you know, a pirate. Imagine like a, a piratey coat and also like a colonial sort of coat, and mix them together, and that's what he wears. But I think right now he's not wearing that. Maybe just sort of the kind of puffy shirt underneath. A pi- you know, like a pirate shirt. And your average sort of pirate pants. But maybe without... Since it's summer, maybe without... I imagine them being pirate pants ending in my head. This type of pirate pant ends below the knee. And then there's sort of like the stockings that you would mm. wear up to where mm. the pants cut off. Very Guybrush Threepwood from Monkey Island. Yes. That's that exact same yes. trouser style. Like, oh, wow. Oh. <laughs> but I think because it's the summer, it's a little warm, no stockings. Ooh, calves out. Yeah. All right. I, and no shoes, right? So we get Travis yeah, feet. Oh, yeah. No, he shows feet. Travis. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Uh, yeah, Travis ends up on wiki feet. Sure. Ends Johnny. up founded. <laughs> Ridically. Oh, my God. Ugh. <laughs> I don't want to unpack how that happened. Maybe Travis as an animal, spending his time as animals, he gets stepped on frequently. (laughs) If if he has a database of everyone's feet, he knows who to be mad at. Uh You know, (laughs) it was late at night. I, you know, with the eyes of a snake, you don't see very well. But I did get a clear vision of the feet, so if I can trace that back, (laughs) I'll be able to exact my revenge come morning. Uh. <laughs> I'm glad that we've unpacked that mythology now, actually. Uh, Johnny, where is Travis doing this? I th- here's the thing. I think Travis is a very smart man. But mm-hmm. I don't think, you know, there's a difference between knowledge and wisdom. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. I think that he has a good deal of knowledge and not a good deal of wisdom. And so he is trying to transform into a very large bird in his quarters, which are not very large. And were it to work, I don't know that he could get... I think that there is enough room for a griffin to be in his quarters, but I don't think there's enough room for a griffin to exit his quarters. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, here is what happens. <laughs> Travis, your body starts transforming uh, again since you have mentioned that you made no preparations whatsoever, you you did not do your heart root tea before this, so it starts changing and painfully. You feel yourself growing feathers and wings. You feel like your snout coming to a longer point, beginning to become a beak. You still have like your coyote's jaws and teeth in there, but more feathers are starting to poke through your skin. Wings are starting to form on your back. And because you are focusing on the griffin part of the transformation, it works, but it works in a way that you don't intend, in that the body of the raven is growing through the body of the coyote, and most horribly of all, Everything is growing larger. You are 
you very quickly shored up. Like coyotes are small animals. They're only like about like 30 to 40 pounds. You grow to be like, I, I think very quickly you will grow to be about a hundred pounds. You, you are more than than twice the size you were. And your quarters we've established are, you know, part of the regular crew quarters. They're not walled in. There are no doors. You just sort of have curtains and a hammock, you know, thrown up in the main cargo hold that has been established through many Illimat games as your space. Your quarters can hide a creature of this size, but you don't stop growing. You, in fact, continue growing. And Travis, as you mentioned, a smart man, maybe not particularly wise, but definitely smart, you know you cannot continue to grow in these quarters because you have no idea how large you are going to be. Are you going to be 8.3 times the size of a raven? 8.3 times the size of a coyote? doesn't matter what the answer is it's all huge and bad so you are left with the feeling the very distinct feeling that i need to escape confinement as quickly as possible and i look like a terrible monster <laughs> and we'll return to that shortly <laughs> <laughs> Hey heroes, it's James, your Game Master, and welcome to the mid-roll on this new arc of Campaign Skyjacks. I hope everyone was cool with the tiny break that we took in between arcs. Don't worry, we'll have the listener questions portion of our arc debrief uh, put up later this week. I just wanted to make sure this episode came out today. That new voice that you heard in the intro of this week's episode was Big Bees. Bees is going to be a guest performer this arc, uh, playing none other than Jonnet's father, Douglas the Stone Kessler. I am extremely excited that Bees is joining us for this arc. We have other guest performers who are going to join us on this arc too, but I'm going to leave them as a surprise. I wanted to let everyone know that uh, this month was my birthday. It's already passed. Uh, thanks for the folks who did wish me happy birthday. But... On my birthday, my newest book came out, the Ultimate RPG Character Backstory Guide Expanded Genres Edition. It is an all-new sequel to my very first book that I published. It's a book of exercises, prompts, and mini-games designed to help you develop more complex and interesting character backstories, covering all the most popular RPG genres. I am so proud of this book. I think it is better than my first book, and I think there are plenty of listeners out there who will really enjoy using it. So if you'd like to pick up a copy for yourself, you can head to bit.ly slash rpgbackstory2, and that is the numeral 2 which will show you all the online retailers you can pick it up from. It's also available at all major brick-and-mortar bookstores, and, of course, your friendly local game store or favorite indie brick-and-mortar bookstore. And I do recommend you pick it up from one of those if you have the chance, although you might have to call ahead and special order it. And once you've got your copy, another way you can help me out is heading to any site where they review books and leaving a five-star review. My publisher tracks those reviews very closely, and they help me get new book contracts. It's actually really important that in the first month I get 55 star reviews. 
So if you would like to help me out for my birthday and you already have a copy of my book, please head over to a site like Amazon and leave a review for me. I cannot express how much of a difference it makes. And if you've got RPG characters and you like to think about backstories for them, head out and get this book. I think it is really good. Before we get back to the show, I want to thank our backers on Patreon. Uh, we're going to be resuming backer thank yous soon as uh, the baby is starting to chill out and mellow a little bit and I'll be able to take on more of my work. Uh, but before that time, I just want to give a general thank you to everyone. You all make this show possible. And I'm really grateful for that because I love this show. Now then, with all of that out of the way, let's get back in the sky. I would like to cut over to another part of the ship and I would like to see Captain Oromar Vale. Mm. Captain Oromar Vale is uh, sitting in the captain's quarters feeding his new pet hummingbird griffin, having obtained one from a rival pirate crew. They were paid to betray us and sink our ship. Uh, they failed horribly because, of course, they would. They're stepping against the best. Mm. And uh, in their treasure hold was a griffin egg. Griffin eggs are notably golden, I think, is the, the way that you can kind of tell them apart. Yes. However, we do know that uh, to look after any griffin, you need to feed them a lot more, enough to be able to have the biomass to grow 8.5 times the size. And hummingbirds, although they don't have a lot of body mass, that requires a large amount of sugar for them to be able to have the nourishment to grow. So while he was in Dominion, he had been working on putting together sugary apple puree for the entire time he's there. Was requested Slam to also crew member Slam, famous for making smoothies live by squishing them against his gigantic pecs. <laughs> I, as I understand, it was the delivery method for, for Slam's juicing mm -hmm. station. Mm -hmm. uh, unfortunately, Slam was relatively tied up for a decent period of time uh, during the Dominion adventure, figuratively or literally take your pick. So it's a good thing that Oromar thought far in advance to go and make puree himself. So we, uh, we see him in the oh. captain's quarters having got like a, a tiny dish that has had a, a, a kind of like fabric skin put over it and very delicate like flower embroidery with holes poked in the middle so the hummingbird goes to these as flowers in lieu of having actual ones there they're actual real life hummingbird feeders that are like this but are made of plastic obviously to yeah. go and dip at the kind of sugary apple puree underneath her and, and I like the idea that this the the baby griffin has reached the stage where it 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 no longer looks like a weird dinosaur. Like some of the feathers have like started to grow mm -hmm. in. So it's it's got some of that. I believe we decided that these griffins grow to have like kind of an angelic color. Yes, palette. they Is have the uh, black and white, silver and gold kind of uh, color color palette. And I think you said something along the lines of like the after image of the fluttering wings at high speed tend to look. Mm -hmm terrifying which is or, yeah. or like flames or something like that which is rad i love this 
I, I think in the right light, mm. as these wings are moving at full speed, it looks like flames are just kind of blossoming off Ugh. the creature. Mm-hmm. Um, but right now, it's this beautiful, precious little creature that, that fits in the size of Oromar's palm. Mm-hmm. And as as we say that, I would love to know what Oromar, or what Oromar's palm, and indeed the man attached to it, look like. Yes! Captain Oromar Vale is a black man in, I think, in their ballpark of their 50s, with mm-hmm. long, uh, down-to-their-waist dreads decorated with uh, small adornments of gold jewellery, quite broad as well, tall, although not nowhere near as tall as Gable, and uh, likes to wear a very large tricorn hat. Many would say that Captain Oromar Vale has dilf qualities, and then we realise <laughs> that Captain Oromar Vale is undead, and some of you would not mind regardless. <laughs> <laughs> Normally, he wears a very large red, black, and gold, I think, captain's coat seized previously from the red feathers. He took a while away from it, partially to, you know, the small ways one exercises their own agency is by being able to change up their wardrobe. But also, it had been pretty filthy from the large period of time he'd been wearing it, whether he wanted to or not, and has in this intervening period of time got it cleaned. So he's able to actually kind of wear it again around other people without repelling them from the smell because it's summer he is not necessarily wearing the coat right now we're indoors but he is wearing the kind of like puffy pirate tunic shirt it is cinched at the at the wrists and at the elbow and at the shoulder so it billows in the places in between and there is just a little bit of cutout in the chest we get a little bit of chest hair a little diamond shape in the chest hair um, because you know, uh, sun's out, tits out. I think that's how the I think that's how the, the phrase goes. That's how it goes in Britain. None of you can tell me that I'm wrong. Um, right, right, right. As far as I know, the only way that I could tell you that you're wrong is simply for being British. Mm. Um, <laughs> well, we can't help those facts of life. But yes, yeah, yeah. He's. Uh, uh, I, I think there is uh, there isn't much in the way of uh, verbal conversation to the to the bird but i think well this is an opportunity for the captain to kind of exercise his pressure control being dead he does not have perfect motor control over his own body it's his uh, soul being shoved back into the shell of the body he once was so he's had to kind of learn most dexterous tasks over again and he's been quite enthusiastically hands-on about this process just so he can you know if i if i can't look after this bird what can i look after and this is a great way of making sure that i am able to do small and slight tasks properly so he's relishing this as a training exercise for himself and the bird at one point uh, in the future although not yet the bird is still yet to grow we'll probably switch out the uh, flower pattern sheet for an eye patterned one but uh, we're not ready to go and address that just yet (laughs) so yeah you're you're working on your pressure control i would like a coordination role from you nathan Mm -hmm. how difficult is that coordination role it depends on what you're trying to do if it's simply Mm -hmm. keep your hand your, your, your palm in a way that is gentle to the bird that that should be you know like average to easy but if you want to mm. do something like gently stroke the bird as it is drinking 
that mm. that might step into the the average to hard territory. So what? Do yeah, we yeah, 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 yeah. He's holding. I think the little jar that he's holding with the liquid in it is made of glass, mm. and he's holding that in one hand. And as the uh, the bird is kind of perched on the edge of it, he tries to kind of like ruffle it under under the feathers under the neck. I have a coordination of two green. And uh, how difficult are you going to make it? Let's make this average with a black die. Mm. Uh, average is two purple die with a black die. Mm-hmm. Okay. A wa- well, no, it's not a wash. It's just one advantage, which could have been worse. Yeah, one advantage. Let's uh, let's pull from what what, uh, what number? What number? Uh, let's Sorry. go for six, please. This is my favorite number. The Rusalka. Mm. Mm. I mean, we just had a conversation about the Rusalka with the with the Rusalka recently, and that might be playing on Oromar's <laughs> mind a little bit. Yeah. Oh, that's interesting. Um, let's see here. Her themes are temptation, desire, and longing. Mm. Oh, this is perfect. Okay. <laughs> so I, I, I mean, you, you can tell me whether Oromar's mind drifting off means that he doesn't do his physical task properly but uh to maybe recount a little bit of what happened last time in this context the reason why uh, oromar is uh, feeling a little distant is because well we found out a handful of things that the luminary of the rasalka is a person that you could just meet physically and not just entreat spiritually that they weren't always the rasalka and that Travis Matago has managed to become the archetype, the the luminary of the changeling through just being the, I would be loath to say exemplary with Travis's general behavior, <laughs> but, uh, <laughs> but, you know, was able to embody the spirit of the changeling enough to just become one. And Oromar immediately got to thinking, well, how would his goals be better enacted if he could become a luminary himself. Mm. And uh, that flight of fancy was previously in like back of the head processing. You know, it was a parallel run, but it started to kind of creep over into main processing and Oromar is not concentrating properly. There were no failures. So no no harm mm. will come to this this baby griffin. But Oromar as a spirit is is thinking visualizing picturing as a spirit and can feel the strange combination of physical and metaphysical weight of the sovereign's crown sitting in his pocket as mm-hmm. as they think about exactly what their future might hold how they could transform from being this frustrating dead flesh that moves into into an existence that might be more pleasant for everyone. And mm. as Oromar thinks in this way, the intended stroking of this bird misses and Oromar like comes back into, into their focus to look down at, at his finger and see it simply stroking at the air, not, not touching the bird at all. Mm. The finger wagging in the air slowly comes to a stop. And uh, he's like... This would be embarrassing, but I'm alone. 
So it's fine. I got away with that one. No one noticed. No one need ever know. He just kind of puts that hand. I think buries it in the co- in, in, in like his trouser pocket. It's like nobody need even need know I have a hand. Nobody <laughs> yeah. can prove anything. <laughs> wow, Ormar has been taking too many cues from Travis. Yeah, <laughs> mm. hand stuff. Well, uh, unfortunately, we are quite quite soul connected since uh, Travis holds a heart that uh, (laughs) helps Oromar move. So, uh, yes, there's been a little bit of uh, spiritual feedback, like an orcs pulled out slightly. Uh I I think through that connection, you very suddenly feel the powerful emotional wave of an animal that has realized that it is trapped. This strikes you, takes you, rips at you from this metaphysical connection and we'll Mm. move to a different part of the ship. And our focus for this arc, Jonnet Kessler. Jonnet, where are you? I think Jonnet is in the bathroom. Mm-hmm. I think that, like on this ship, a like a floor, like a a full body mirror is kind of hard to come by. I imagine that if there was one, it would maybe be in the captain's quarters. But the next best thing is kind of like this waist up mirror that they have in like a, a above the sinks in front of the bathroom. And so I think Jonnet is currently. He's just, he's trying to figure out what to wear. He's a little stressed out. He's, I think, somewhere, like, caught squarely between, like, business and casual. He's got, like, his, a fine, like, maroon vest on. And then underneath, he's trying to figure out, does he go all the way? Does he, like, get, like, his sort of, like, tunicky or, or, like, undershirt with like the nice cuffs that he has or does he he scrap that and just like his everyday shirt with the embellishments and then he's kind of like settled on this where it's like nice vest but his everyday undershirt and then he kind of pans up we we see a a a a 15 small asterisk black boy where there is a like he's got a, a frohawk he's got a little bit more hair than he's in need of a cut at this point um it's been growing pretty pretty wild uh, he's trying his best to like keep the the sides trimmed down that's a little easier but when it comes to like shaping the top it's something that was always kind of done for him and so yeah. he's a, yeah I think we mentioned that Dref used to do Jonnet's hair. Yeah. That Dref Dref Mm -hmm. was just really good with black hair. And without Dref, I I don't know that anybody on the ship is quite so talented. Because, like, we we do have other black crew members for sure. I I mean, I would be... be hard pressed to make me believe that bathroom Barry couldn't do a decent fade. Well, but maybe thing, that's like his only limitation. Well, uh, the thing <laughs> is, bathroom Barry. It, I was in my head. Bathroom Barry is not currently working. He's taking a small break. Um, he's been working on his masterpiece, and so in his steed we have Latrine Latrice, who is currently <laughs> attending the, yes. the the bathroom, and so Latrine Latrice. He's a great guy. You know, there is absolutely nothing about him. It's just when you stack a normal person up against Bathroom Barry, it's just like, 
Okay. Yeah, fine. Okay. <laughs> Holy shit. Bathroom Barry, he's on, you know, sabbatical. Mm-hmm. He's got to be mm-hmm. off at Lightfellow Ranch. That's yeah. not that far off. Yeah. He's got to recharge <laughs> yes. at Lightfellow Ranch. Using all his PTO. Vacation of a lifetime. Yes. Yeah. I think. I love it. So Bathroom Barry, he took maybe like two days off before we even got to port here in, in Acheron. And he's mm. like, don't, don't, do not look for me. You're not going to find me. <laughs> no matter how, I, I know the shit better than, than anybody else. I know the pipe work. You will not find me. Okay. <laughs> this is Latrice. Latrice will give you what you need and he will do it to the best. Hi. <laughs> yes, that's exactly what Latrice sounds like. <laughs> um, I'll be doing my best. <laughs> Uh, it's one of the orphans. It's one of the orphans who stick, stays on the oh, ship. Yeah, right, right now he's holding up the mirror for Jonathan, but he's too small. <laughs> yeah, so uh, I'm, pre- I'm pretty sure I have cologne here somewhere. Let me go and check. Oh, I don't. It's one of these pockets. I don't need cologne, um, I, Latrice. I don't need cologne. I'm clearly just looking for, looking at myself. You're, you're fine, bud. All right, you don't even need to hold the mirror. We have latches for the. Mi- oh, and then Jonathan realizes that. Of, of, of the two people talking right now, he's the tallest. So he actually like mm. latches the the mirror like to the wall and like, you're good, bud. You're good. <laughs> Arms folded, cheeks puffed. I would have got it eventually. <laughs> I, I don't think you would have. All right. And so he goes back to looking in the mirror. And I think the main thing that is catching him up right now is Jonet has a a very kind of in a similar hue as the maroon vest, a kind of matching headband. And it's very nice, but he's kind of figuring out what to do because on his forehead is sort of a the line of a closed eye. John has a third eye that opens up and from time to time and shows him visions of the, the pathways of the universe. And it's something that, up until our recent venture to Dominion, he made a note to try and conceal. But he recently met a a traveler, um, uh, someone who also had a third eye on their neck that they proudly display and walk around with. And it's kind of given him a little bit of insight of like, this isn't something that I should naturally be concealing and so now he's kind of figuring out is this my style is this something that i want to do and so he's kind of oh oh actually james could we pull is there like a pulling a luminary to like essentially just flip a coin (laughs) uh yeah i really like that but let's let's pull luminary because it's themes will will tell us what what John wants to do. Uh, do you want to name a number? Do you want to? Uh, Let's go with twelve. Random. One, two, three, four, seven, and twelve. Twelve is the union, bud. Mm-hmm. That's a that's a spicy luminary. Hold on. <laughs> Let me scroll to the a top of this list. Spicy luminary. Mm-hmm. Oh, that's a spicy, spicy luminary. luminary. A Farama Japan. <laughs> Really, really throwing new listeners into the deep end <laughs> yes. on that one. Um, okay. The themes of this luminary are fulfillment, harmony, wholeness, and love. 
The union favors harmony. Where there is a bond, the union grants strength. This power can stretch beyond any distance or barrier. Souls in the thrall of the union can find strength even if they are separated by death. However, the bond must be true and without selfishness or cynicism in order for its power to work. I, my knee jerk is that's hitting me in in the way of like love and loving yourself. And so Jonnet is going to, I think he's, he's going to take the bandana and he's just going to drape it behind his neck and it's going to just like rest on his shoulders. He's going to maybe make a mental note to like, he's not going to, he's not going to show up to Acheron, you know, eye out, but he's just going to keep it closed and see what happens because this is one of the things that's he's picked up on his journeys and it's now part of it. All right. I like that. This is a big character moment because like part of the, one of the things that is leaning on you, John, you are back home. Mm-hmm. You are about to see family that you have not seen in a year. You're about to see a community that you have not seen in a year. And one of the things that became abundantly clear in your journey with Teacher Wei as they guided you through your memories is that you're a very different young man now, very different from the one who left this place. You have, due to many unfortunate circumstances, you've had to take lives. And in the same breath, you've also had to save lives. You have accomplished truly incredible things. You've made strong allies, dangerous enemies. You've crossed through territories that people have only brought to you in story and song before. You've gone beyond so many barriers to be the person that you grew up around, the person who leaves home and comes back with fantastic tales that fill people's heads and hearts with wonder and fancy. I think... Jonnet considers all this. He's looking at himself in the mirror. He's like, yeah, yeah. And then I feel like he starts to head towards the door. And then we see his smile. We see his eyes kind of like go back to his third eye. And then the next thing we see is cut to outside the bathroom door. And since uh, Latrice is here, we're not mm-hmm. bursting through. The, it's not balsa wood today. <laughs> we're we're mm-hmm. using a little he, bit of restraint. He doesn't know where Barry keeps the doors. Right, right. Mm-hmm. But we see cut to outside the bathroom. The door swings open and then it closes and reveals Jonnet with the bandana over his head. And a little bit of a less of a like a, a smile. But like as he continues walking down the hallway, he like tries to shake it off and like kind of picks him like puts the smirk back on his face. Yeah, yeah. And I think, John, also one of the things that you had the opportunity to do is while while we were in Dominion, you might have been able to pick up some new threads. There is this amazing character art that we got from Carice Bolds, who like drew Jonnet in like a much fancier version of his duds, uh, like first off. But I kind of feel like a year into being a pirate after having gotten so many amazing treasures and been on so many amazing adventures, you might just be able to roll up to Acheron in like the dressed up version. Do we have that handy 
at all? Give me two shakes of a lamb's tail, and I'll see if I can pull it up for us. Or... That's a very dad thing to say. It's happening. <laughs> <laughs> the transformation. <laughs> the fashion yes. is approaching. <laughs> Don't you hear it in the distance? Hi, happening. I'm dad. <laughs> <laughs> Boom. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, this is what I was picturing. Mm. One, I forget sometimes how dope this is. <laughs> uh, Such good art. But yeah, I think we we have Jonnet in like this sort of maroon vest with kind of gold embellishments around him. Covering his abdomen is sort of a, not necessarily a belt, but you know, the cloth that you, it's like cinched up around his midsection. It's kind of more like a deeper like turquoise, but it's like, He's a little fancy. Uh, he's got a couple like claps, clasps on his ear, and he's got a little bit of like eye shadow, like that that mm. teal hue. And so he's uh he's looking a little fancy. He's he's he does have again the the bandana is back over his head, but uh, he's uh he's stunting a little bit. Yeah, I like the idea of there also being like kind of kind of gold highlights on, mm-hmm. on like some of the makeup or whatever, because it looks like he's got kind of at, at, at his eyes away from the shadow, like these little bits of gold. But I kind of like the idea that he might have that shadowing around like his forehead eye too. You know, it's like I'm 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 playing with all this stuff, and they've got gold to spare right now. So. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. That's it doesn't that, look gold it, It's it's a rad look. Yeah. I mean, it's a Nathan Blades look. Is John borrowing <laughs> this look a little bit from Nathan Blades? Yes. John could works. only hope. <laughs> oh, well. Nathan Blades exists in canon. Yes. <laughs> of course Nathan Blades. It's a pirate setting. Of course <laughs> Nathan Blades is out there. Don't start with me. <laughs> that is a boss fight you don't want to. While Jonnet is strolling down this hallway, there is a thump and a scream that Jonnet hears off in the distance. And I think also like kind of a very strange inhuman animal noise that sounds like a growl and a deep caw kind of intermingling with each other. Boy. Campaign Skyjacks is a one-shot network production. For more information, be sure to follow us on Twitter over at CampaignPod for updates about live shows and other events we might be doing. Welcome to Character Creation Cast, a show where we create and discuss characters, the best part of role-playing games, with guests using their favorite systems. I'm one of your hosts, Ryan Bolter. And I'm your other host, Amelia Antrim. Join us as we sit down with game designers, podcasters, and fans of games as we dive into learning about different RPGs through the lens of character creation. It's a combination of character building, player advice, game design insights, and even a little bit of fan fiction for a different game every month. 
we tackle a variety of new and old games, both well-known and indie-produced titles. We learn how creating characters can tell us a lot about the games themselves. Check us out today anywhere you can get podcasts or on the OneShot Podcast Network at OneShotPodcast.com. You can find more great gaming shows over at OneShotPodcast.com, like Skyjack's Courier's Call, an all-ages-friendly actual play podcast set in the world of Sphere. Skyjack's Courier's Call follows three teens as they set out as new apprentices aboard an airship with the Swiftwell Courier Service, bringing mail and adventure across the world. Featuring Drew Merzieski, Palomi Pertap, Aaron Catano Saez, and Ali Grauer, and using the Cortex Prime system, this show is perfect for anyone just getting started listening to actual plays, and veterans of the tabletop genre alike. Join clever but anxious Kieran, bold, fast-talking Cece, and the loyal and strong June aboard the Red Audrin ship as they sort and deliver mail, encounter powerful magic, and learn the proper skills of an Ariner along the way. Right wrongs, do mercies, and take flight. Jonnet Kessler was played by Tyler Davis, who can be found on Twitter and Instagram at Tyler A. Dave. He also co-stars and consults on Showtime's Work in Progress. Gable was played by Liz Anderson, who can be found on Twitter at LizAnderson underscore underscore underscore, or on her podcast, Paired. Travis Matigo was played by Johnny O'Mara, who can be found on Twitter at Johnny and Briefs, or on his podcasts, Bill Buds and Dilettante Ball. Captain Oromar Vale was played by Nathan Blades, who can be found on Twitter at Phantom Arts ENT. You can also find them streaming on twitch.tv slash theneoncaster. I am James D'Amato, your host and game master. You can find me on Twitter at OneShotRPG or on my other podcast, OneShot. The original music featured in this podcast was written, composed, and performed by Arnie Parrott. You can find him on Twitter over at A-R-N-E-P-A-R-R-O-T-T. You can find more of his work at atptunes.com. This episode was edited by Casey Tony who can be found on Twitter at Casey Pony or on his podcast, Neo Scum. Our logo was designed by Fiona Shea, who can be found on Twitter at Fiona Pup. The World of Sphere was inspired in part by the music of the Decemberists and Illimat, produced by Together Studios. This show uses a modified version of the Genesis role-playing system, designed by Sam Stewart and a team of talented professionals who were fired by the private equity firm owning Fantasy Flight Games. The strangers who've ever been kind And once for our friends ne'er to rise Twice to the dearest we're leaving behind You know we can never deny The call of the sky